This is Soccer City. With the World Cup still fresh, I'm going to talk to one of America's most influential soccer columnists. He's George Vesey of the New York Times. Croatian supporters, they flock to Cafe Baltazar for all their matches in the World Cup. And I'll give a day-after report from the Astoria Queens establishment. In Major League Soccer, New York City FC remained unbeaten at home. And the recent emergence of Jonathan Lewis may signal a more prominent youth movement under coach Dome Turon. We'll hear from one of those youngsters, 18-year-old James Sands, who won a youth soccer national championship last week with New York City's Academy. And sporting director Claudio Reyna, he'll address the progress of the NYCFC Academy. Well, joining us now on Soccer City is a New York Times columnist. His column, Sports of the Times, ran from 1982 through 2011. He was honored by the National Soccer Hall of Fame for his contributions to the game through writing. And he's author of over a dozen books, including eight World Cups. And he was voted the worst soccer defender in history of Jamaica High School here in Queens, New York City. I didn't make that up. It's on his Twitter account. It George Vesey, welcome to the program. Thank you, man. Yeah, it, it's a privilege to be talking to you about the, uh, the World Cup. You know, one thing I did uh, during one of the off days, because I had read your book uh, back before Brazil 2014, but I thought, let's pull this thing out again. And Mexico is still alive, so I wanted to go back and kind of review uh, what happened in Mexico City in 1986. Mm-hmm. But uh, you've been... Um, You've been following the game for quite some time, and let's first start with the present and then work our way back a little bit. The World Cup hangover, uh, it's begun. It continues for many. France defeats Croatia in the final. And I'm thinking, George, after having read you over the years, that you really enjoyed this one, especially when you consider uh, the two combatants. First runner-up Croatia, a a team of immigrants, the core leadership, uh, just young boys during the conflict, which uh, eventually led to Croatian independence uh, in 1991, a country of just 4 million. You compare that to the 67 million of France. But it's a great story here, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And the contrast, the, the, the French were, and I can't say entitled, they didn't play like, like royalty, but they, they had so much money and talent and depth behind them, the whole nation producing these players. Croatia was smaller, and you, you, you just knew, and they played with more intensity. They were, and, and it's not just, it, it's partially where they're from, their attitude, the way they played, but it, it also had to do with being the underdogs, just a smaller nation and uh, you know, f- fewer people to choose from. You look at the, the core guys like a Luka Modric, and he was named the player uh, of the tournament. Uh, did you feel the same way at the end? I think sentimentally I did. I love the way he plays. I mean, I, I, I love to watch playmakers, and he would, he would start. I mean, he was going into the, into the back four to, to get the ball out of there and bring it up, and then, then somehow or other it would seem like he'd pass to himself as an attacking midfielder. So he, he managed to have about three roles in there. All right, so we've got France uh, ends up winning it, their second title, their third final. 1998, you had the right-wing side uh, criticizing that there were too many immigrants on the team, saying they weren't French, racially motivated, to be certain. Now you go to 2018, 15 of the 23 players on the roster with African roots, including Kylian Mbappe, an Algerian mother, a Cameroonian father. So 
in our current climate worldwide, especially here in the States, is this an example where soccer can serve our society for the greater good, do you think? Well, it certainly is around the world. I mean, I don't know that we need we, – we need a lot of things, but I don't know how many Americans you know, who might, you know, quote, need – that kind of reminder would have been watching the final anyway. I mean, the, the, the soccer tends to be attract an international sport, people who are already uh, aware of that. I mean, the French thing was amazing because I was there. We had a, a flat in, in Paris in 98 for the World Cup, and I was running all over the country covering stuff. And that quote from Le Pen, you know, the father saying, oh, well, it's a wonderful team, but uh, it is not French. And, uh, and, you know, he got criticized for it. But... Does that attitude still go, or have the French come to grips? I mean, I know from watching the, the, the celebration uh, on Sunday to see the, the French players with, with their, their handshakes and their smiles, they look just like a, a good college basketball team or an NBA team, you know, with all the, all the, the black culture in there, whether white or black, you know, people who have, have learned to do that kind of stuff and enjoy and be cool. And I was just saying, how, how American-looking is this? So, you know, we, we've, I think we've set an example in that case rather than taking an example. George, do you think uh, in uh, your observations uh, of watching the games, getting out into the city a little bit or in your community, did you sense that the fact that the United States wasn't there took away uh, from it at all? You know, I don't think it, the people I know – generally no soccer or are resistant to it anyway. You know, I've got, uh, I mean, at my advanced old age, I've got a lot of old guy friends who just say, oh, why don't they make the goals bigger? Or why, you know, why can't they use their hands? <laughs> or that's not American. You know, the, the Frank DeFord theory that if, if you don't use your hands, of course, some players do use their hands. But, but the, the point being that a lot of my friends don't care in my age group, but the ones that do, and, you know, thank goodness I have a lot of younger friends and, and uh, family members and all of that, yeah, they, they, were, they were fine with it. George Vesey, our guest here on Soccer City, uh, I want to trace your introduction to the sport. Now, we've already shared your reputation as a high school defender, oh. but, uh, but you tell a story in your book. It's eight World Cups, and uh, you covered uh, 1982 through 2010. I, I really suggest anybody into the game. It's a, it's, it's a wonderful story of each of those World Cups. But uh, there was a moment that gave you insight into the passion of the game. I, I wonder if you could just retell the story. You were on vacation with your family in 1970 in Italy. And then what happened? Oh, yeah. There was, you know, I'm going to have to remember the details, but I know we were asleep in a hotel. You know, three young kids, my wife and I. And people are outside chanting, Italia, Italia. And the World Cup was in, in Mexico, and they had beaten somebody, and they were, they were forming. We were right near the top of the, uh, the, the uh, Trevi Fountain. We were right within ear distance. So people go to the Trevi Fountain, they jump in, they throw coins in it, you know, all that good stuff, and we could hear it. And that was my introduction. So the next morning I came down and I said to the guy at the, at the desk, what was that? And he said, eh, senor, uh, we, we have won the, the game. So anyway, it was, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was a great introduction to understanding the, uh, the emotion of, you know, Italian people but soccer fans everywhere. Is that something that struck you as maybe even different than the passionate uh, supporters of different sports in the States? I think so. I mean, it, what, what, that was 1970, so that was only – X months after all the Met craziness that I covered, you know, I watched the Mets come along from 62 to, to, to 69 when they won, 
and yeah, there was there was magical stuff going on with the Mets, but there was certainly a. Uh, I mean, the Mets were one team. Even in New York, they only commandeered, you know, probably less than 50% of the fans in those days. But for the World Cup, this was an entire nation, as it were, jumping into the Trevi Fountain and and screaming and chanting. So it it really was a different feel to it. Well, with that in mind, the U.S. failing to qualify for Russia 2018 uh, in your book, Eight World Cups, I think it's the opening chapter. It's called The Goal That Changes Everything. And you open up with Landon Donovan's late uh, right. finish against Algeria. Right. Uh, could be the single most electric moment for soccer in this country. Uh, you said it changes everything. So were you referring to how the progress of the U.S. was uh, evident? And do you, if that's what the intent of those words was, what kind of effect does not qualifying for Russia have? Um, not I, you know, not good because I don't see any any sense that anybody knows what to do about it, which is not necessarily anybody's fault. Well, you know, when I say every everything in that in that uh, phrase, uh, you know, I'm being metaphorical in a sense that when when a goal like that is scored, and there there were certainly enough late goals and you know t- uh, tie tying goals and winning goals and all that stuff in this one, that when you see a goal like that produced, when people labor to produce a goal, did that affect the United States? No, I, I don't necessarily think so, because I don't think enough athletes, really good athletes, are playing who are gritty. My late doctor had been the captain of Guatemala. He was a defender and a tough guy, and he played pro soccer in Mexico, went to med school, and now he's on Long Island. And he would, he would, would, I'd go in for a thing, and he'd say, you know, I go out on the Long Island Expressway on Sunday morning to exit, you know, 66 or whatever, and there's a field there, and all these guys who work on trucks during the week are playing soccer, and I watch them, and they've got better moves than the jokers on our national team. New York Times columnist and author of the book Eight World Cups, George Vesey. Cafe Baltazar in Astoria, Queens, the spot to join Croatian supporters for the World Cup matches. And that's where I went the day after the final for this week's Soccer on the Block. The manager of Cafe Baltazar is David Vusatovic, who opened the doors early on Sunday morning ahead of that special day, the World Cup final, that ended in disappointment while pushing politics aside. Well, it started off great atmosphere, high hopes, and uh, we were dominating the game, and it was just a downfall for us Croatia fans. Myself, I'm not Croatian. I'm from Montenegro. That's, you know, former Yugoslavia. But uh, I rooted for them, you know, like if I was born there, it was my people. So it, it was a great accomplishment, you know, seeing our people going to the final and uh, that close to bringing it home. There's a lot of emotion surrounding the split from Yugoslavia and how all that played out, right? Yeah, unfortunately, whatever happened, happened. But um, I always say sports and music shouldn't be mixed with politics, you know. We're still one same people, Montenegro, Bosnian, Muslim, Croatian, Albanian. We're all one same people, same custom, sport is sports. I don't care where you're from. If you're from ex-Yugoslavia, everybody should have rooted for Croatia to win the, the whole thing. Vucetovic, 45 years he's lived in Queens, an immigrant. He was two years old when he arrived in New York City with his parents, who were still alive, and sometimes you might spot them playing bocce at Bowen Park. I did meet a Croatian at Cafe uh, Baltazar, Ivica Dubic, who watched all the games at the bar. 
He works in sales and business development for Croatian TV America. And we sat together watching the massive parade in the capital Zagreb. His emotions were clear. Oh, this is really hard. It's uh, heartbreaking, you know, because uh, my heart is really there now. But uh, when my body is here and I have uh, watching this, uh, that's the biggest celebration ever in the history of the Croatia. Telling you, like, they're going like more than four hours. They make like less than five miles. You know, that's crowd all over. And we just expecting uh, like two million people is going to be on a celebration party. That's welcome party. We get a, a silver medal, of course, but uh, the silver medal is like a gold shine. Tell me about what's happening after this celebration where the whole team is trying to get through this massive crowd. But you suggested that then they'll go into the players' communities? After tomorrow, they're going to start to celebrate in every city where come the players from, you know, like few players come from Zadar, few players from Split, few players from the other cities, Osijek, and then Slavonski brought, and they're going to make the same thing over here, but there's going to be not like two million people, it's going to be a couple of hundred thousand people over there. But that's going to be celebrated probably all week. Can you express how proud you are of the team as they've represented the country? You said the silver medal is like gold. The silver medal is uh, even more than gold, you know, that was a generation that uh, make less proud uh, Croatia is uh, 25, 28 years, uh, and we are just small country, and we make big, big thing to come to climb on a, on a, on, a, on the top of the uh, soccer world. You know, the, we send home the big countries like uh, Argentina, for example, and the others. And uh, of course, that is very proud for us. And your guy Luka Modric got Player of the Tournament, and. Uh, is he someone, you, you look at him uh, as a, just a special representative of Croatia, a refugee, and, and how he developed? Yes, that's, that's true. You know, that's, uh, he was like a refugee. Uh, he was like a small little kid. He came uh, to the Zagreb and uh, we taken a lot of refugees in that time. In, and he was playing from a club, uh, you know, local. And uh, they recognized him and they playing good. They're taking care of him. Really, they take care of him. And he was bigger and bigger and bigger in the uh, Croatian league. And after that, we, he went out and uh, he was playing in England. He was playing in uh, Spain. The last one is for uh, Real Madrid. He's also the best, the best player over there. And now he's the best player in the World Cup. That means something, you know, that we are very, very proud of him. You know, not only him. It was like, uh, it, over there was like 23 players, but we are proud of all of them. Can you describe uh, here in New York City uh, the Croatian community? Uh, maybe around the bar here in caf at the cafe, we're in Astoria, but uh, just in general, is it a is it is it a big community? Uh, Croatian community is very strong in Astoria. It's uh, New York City is uh, actually like tri-state area is like the biggest in the United States. For you personally, what were your emotions uh, during the final as it was coming to a close, and it was evident that it wasn't going to be a victory? But uh, just can you describe how you felt? I feel so proud, like everybody did, you know, that was every day was uh, more and more and more exciting, you know, especially for me. I'm over here alone and my family is there. I tell you, my heart is uh, here, I'm here, but my heart and uh, is with family, with those players, with those people in Croatia. You know uh, people that are at this parade today? Oh, I know a lot, a lot of them. Even my family is all, they are there too, part of that, uh, and, they, and they just uh, sharing with them, you know, 
watching that and they're just sell, send, send, sending me the pictures, you know, where they come and how is that going on. Yeah. I just watching that uh, from the early in the morning, I'm watching that live. I'm like part of that. Okay, I did want to ask about the president who had quite a quite a visual uh, on Twitter that on TV after the match. Uh, she seemed uh, to adore the team. Yes, we have the like best president in the world. She was really a fan of the, our, our uh, Croatian soccer team. She was always with the players. She was coming in a locker room to be with the players. She gave them big, big support, and also that's big something you know for Croatia. That must mean a lot to them and to the country, I would imagine. You know, when you have a support like that, the president really support you. That's uh, you, you're going uh, like crazy. The fourth Croatian president, Kolinda Grabar Kitarovic. She won many admirers. She sat with the Croatian supporters for matches before the final instead of the VIP box, wearing the familiar checkered pattern jersey of Croatia, smiling and hugging every player from both teams in the final ceremony. Well, from the World Cup to Major League Soccer, New York City FC, they had a match prior to the World Cup final and continued their stellar results at Yankee Stadium undefeated through 11 games at home in 2018 with 10 wins. The victims on Saturday, Columbus Crew SC City, uh, scoring both goals after halftime in a 2-0 victory. Providing the spark off the bench for the third consecutive match was 21-year-old Jonathan Lewis. He set up the opening goal when he picked off a delivery from Crew SC goalkeeper Zach Steffen. Lewis hit a first-time shot. It hit the post, but he got his own rebound and then assisted on Jesus Medina's third goal of the year. The whole sequence took Lewis off guard. Definitely surprised because he's a very, very, very good keeper and the whole game he was playing out like extremely well. So that one, it was just, you know, but one mistake can hurt a team just like Red Bulls. They played really well against us and just made one mistake and then we were able to punish them. So I think that's the difference with this team like now. I think now we're capitalizing on people's mistakes before we weren't as much. Lewis helped cause the mistake in the Derby match against the Red Bulls, assisting on Maxi Morales, his game winner. The Plantation Florida native has now seen his minutes increase under the new coach Dome Turon. I'm very happy for him because in every single every single training, uh, the training session uh, after after the the session normally uh, three or four players Jonah uh, uh, training 20 minutes more the, to improve the the cross to improve the one by one and that is the reason why I'm very happy for him. And Lewis is happy that Turan is, at least for the moment, showing increased confidence in the youngest players on the squad. I mean, yeah, he told me, uh, just keep working. I mean, he told me, he said, I have all the abilities to play on this team, be a starter. You know, he said, for right now, I have to learn, I have to get fitness, et cetera, et cetera. But he told me I have all the tools. He's like, I know where your dreams are. Everybody wants to go to Europe. Everyone wants to play on the national team. He's like, you have the quality. So he's like, I'm going to hone your skills. And he's like, you'll turn out to be what I know like you can be. So he's, he has confidence in me. And not only just me, though, I think he has confidence in all the other youth players. So Kwame now is starting to get a run. I know under Patrick, he didn't see much time at all. And now the last two games, he's played 40 minutes, I think. So I think he really believes in me, Kwame, James, all of us younger guys. He believes in the veterans to, for us to push the veterans as well as they push us. So I think it's very well balanced here now. Lewis and 22-year-old Kwame Awua, they are roommates, and they've bonded together through the adversity of limited time in MLS. One of the young players that Lewis referred to, 18-year-old James Sands, who signed the first homegrown contract in New York City history last June. 
recently returned from winning a national championship with the New York City FC Academy in the U18-19 division. The first team coach indicating his support for the academy by releasing the Rye New York native who I spoke to after the Columbus match. Dome Turon gives his blessings so that you can go play your last youth tournament, which was pretty cool, and you win a national championship. So I don't know, maybe you didn't even anticipate going to play. Did you know all along that you were going to be able to do this? Uh, yeah, I had a feeling. You know, it's still it's really important for me to be getting games somehow. And obviously the U19s, it's a, it's a high level. Like, obviously we don't have a USL team, but a lot of the guys on that team could probably be playing in the USL. So I think it's just good to be getting games with them. And and then obviously with Dome, he believes a lot in the youth. So I think it's it'll help me in the future. So it's your last youth game. So it's sort of a, it was a moment to just kind of take it all in, not just winning the national title, but all those years playing youth soccer. Yeah, obviously I'm going to miss it, you know, playing with my friends. It's obviously I have friends on the first team, but it's kind of a, an experience of its own. And um, But, you know, I feel like I've been transitioning from academy to the first team over the last year, obviously playing more and more with the first team. So it's sad to see it the last game, but, you know, I think I'm ready to move fully to the first team. How confident, nervous, whatever the emotion might have been standing over that penalty kick that you knew if it went in, uh, earned the national championship in your last youth game? Yeah, you know, I actually I felt pretty confident taking it, you know. I think for PKs, as long as you pick your spot and you know where you're going to go, I think you got a good chance of making it. And then obviously for that to be the winner was a really special feeling, and it was just great for the whole team. You mentioned the level, uh, and the level of that match I think is was encouraging for U.S. soccer. Do you agree? I mean, do, did you feel like it was it was the kind of level which maybe we wouldn't have seen a few years ago? Yeah, I think definitely. I think obviously you can look at our team, a bunch of top top class players, and their teams too. With the Galaxy, they have a bunch of players playing up with USL and then dropping down with the academy to play in tournaments like that. And then I think you also look at the age of both teams, and a lot of them were like way out of their age group. Right. I mean, you look at Geo for us, 15, they had another kid, 15. And I think the two best teams in the country are playing kids way up. I think that says a lot about U.S. soccer and the speed at which kids are developing now. So back to the first team here in New York City FC. One thing uh, Dome uh, said to us the other day is that he sees you playing, uh, you could play center back, you could play holding mid, but he also said fullback, which we hadn't heard that sort of thing before. I don't know if you've heard it, but... Uh, so it's nice to know that he feels you're that versatile. Yeah, obviously it's nice to know that, you know, I've definitely played a lot more center back in six recently. You know, I haven't played fullback that much, but obviously he can switch up tactics. You know, fullbacks inside sometimes, maybe that'll suit me more. So I really haven't played that much there, but I think maybe if he sees me there, obviously he knows what he's doing. So so it's good to hear that. Now you you. You, you win the national championship, play 120 minutes, the, the PKs, and then uh, the next night you're on the bench for New York City FC in the match against Montreal on, on Wednesday, and then you're on the bench against, again tonight. So what, what did that feel like? How, how was that for you? Didn't enter a game, but uh, a step closer maybe. Yeah, I think it was great for me, and as well as it shows how close the academy and the first team are. You know, obviously I didn't play in either of these matches, but 
to go straight from an academy match to sitting on the bench for the first team, I think it shows the connection. And obviously, it's something the club believes a lot in, you know, developing the youth, getting them to the first team. And I think we've seen it so far with me and Joe, and hopefully there'll be more homegrown players soon. How do you anticipate the rest of the summer going for you now uh, in terms of training and then the potential to, to earn some minutes? Yeah, I think you have to take it one step at a time. And obviously, Dome has only been here a few weeks. So I think I need more time with him. He needs more time with me so I can uh, really show him what I can do. So I think for the rest of the summer, it's just going to be about working hard with the team and showing what I could do. Have there been any specific differences that you can uh, glean from, from Dome to Patrick, just how things are done a little bit or in what manner? You know, it's tough to say. Obviously, it's all city football group, same philosophy for all the clubs. But um, I think you can notice in some of our games little tactical ideas that he prefers. Um, I think you, can, you saw it in both games this weekend, Montreal and Columbus. The second half switches he made, I thought he, he just shows that a little bit. Um, obviously, Patrick had other ideas. So it's just interesting to see both great managers just to see the difference. Well, the guy who has watched Sands play since he was 10 years old and who has spent a good portion of his time focusing on the development of the academy is sporting director Claudio Reyna, who addressed a common talking point, more young American players getting a chance with the first team. It's a, it's a, it's a balance that we, we need to have as a club. And, uh, you know, we first and foremost at the first team level, we're always trying to win and compete and, and be one of the best teams in the league. And our belief is in the future that our academy players will be a part of that as well. So, you know, Dome is really happy with the talent. Um, they watched the game the other night. They had the guys at training. So he's a big believer and supportive of our academy. And, you know, just yesterday we were talking about it and he was saying how, you know, in, in the years to come, our players in the team have to be with academy players and similar to what he saw, of course, in the at La Masia with Barcelona. So. He says it's possible if we, you know, keep working with them the way we are, that there'll be players that we'll have in the first team. So there's no doubt the academy will be will be will coming in and filling spots in the team and getting a lot of minutes in the future. But uh, Reina and the club's current issue is finding a proper development pathway for the elite academy players without having an NYCFC two team. Reina says he has come up with a strong alternative. The goal is eventually to, yes, have have a, a, a USL-like affiliation close by, and we're looking through some opportunities where, you know, that partnership makes sense, and so it's very important, and we need that bridge for, for our players from our academy to get minutes. Uh, but in the meantime, we we're very focused and, and still within what we have is uh, creating a competitive environment for our players and that's why our under 19 is the youngest team in the country um, next year for some of the players that need more we, we, we're going to be sending them to good international tournaments we're going to be perhaps sending them to train abroad so the players that we see that have talent for the first team which are many uh, we will invest in, in in their development perhaps in a different way for for 2019 with with the goal of, of having a, a, a sort of USL partnership by 2020. So there's the team plan. The plans for 15-year-old Gio Reyna, Claudio's son, 
is unclear. Geo named the Eastern Conference Player of the Year in the Development Academy, playing up three years on the national championship team. And there has been speculation that instead of signing a homegrown deal with NYCFC, he may opt for a club overseas like Borussia Dortmund. The elder Reina says it'll be up to him. I've always said he's uh, he's a very mature uh, kid and he's going to take his own decision and I'm always his dad first. Uh, I wear one hat with him, so you know he's. Uh, I'm 100% supportive of what he wants to do, and I'm proud of him for what he's achieved here at the, and you know, in such a short time. And but I also know that he's got a long way to go, and he has to continue to work hard. And you know, I don't, I don't talk about him. I'm the one, uh, you know, cutting him down and ch- and, and pushing him and, and telling him what he needs to get better at. And that's that's where yeah, he's a young kid and. Uh, but a mature one, he's going he's gonna to make the decision. That's Claudio Reyna. Finally, on Soccer City, the inaugural NYCFC Cup. The semifinals finals played at the mini pitch at Rockefeller Center. In the semis, Argentina defeated Uruguay 15-3. Germany over Senegal 10-5. Argentina winning the uh, first NYCFC Cup title, defeating Germany 6-2. The Argentinian team, Jorge Torres, Leo Ruiz, Connor Cushman, Johnny Urguiles, Fernando Carranza, Sergio Agreda, Alexander Starkov, and Chris Wiggins, who was named the player of the match and the tournament MVP. Well, that'll do it for Soccer City. I'm Glenn Crooks. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of your day.